Now, as, as a youth minister, I sometimes find myself around students as they're working on homework or, or as they discuss what they're learning in school. And you know, it, they'll occasionally ask me if I know the answer to something or know how to you know, work out an equation or something like that. And you know how students sometimes wonder if they'll ever like need to know this stuff later in life? Well, my experience has been largely no. Um, I don't remember a lot of stuff that I learned back in high school, and especially math. I can't even tell you what half the symbols mean anymore, and so I'm not much help with homework. Maybe that's just how my brain works. Maybe it's because my career doesn't require it. Maybe it's because I work with Kevin Wooten. I'll never have to do math on my own ever again, right? (laughs) But aside from basically remembering foil, I can do that first, outside, inside, last. Um, That's pretty much all I got. I've forgotten a lot. But what has stuck with me over the years are those experiments that you learn about in science. You know, there are these important experiments that paved the way for science, they changed the way we understand our world. And my guess is that many of you learned about these same experiments, and you probably remember them as well. So I thought we'd try a little experiment of our own this morning. I'm going to show you a picture, right, the sort that might have showed up in a science textbook, and let's see if you can remember what the experiment was. So what are we working with here? Pavlov. Yes, Pavlov's dog, he demonstrated, I guess it's classical conditioning by showing that if a bell was rang every time a dog was fed, if the dog later heard a bell, even without food, he'd start salivating, right, in anticipation of the food. All right, how about the next one? You guys know this one? All right, I see some head nods, all right? Nobody knows the name of the guy. Is it's, it's a guy named Francesco Reddy, all right? Um, and now I didn't, I, listen, I didn't remember his name, but I never forgot this picture, right? Because his whole thing was about spontaneous generation, showed that life, it doesn't just spontaneously come into being. He proved that, no, the reason flies showed up on, like, rotten meat is because the flies were coming and laying eggs, right? So he did this whole experiment to prove that rotten meat just doesn't generate flies. Um, All right, here's the next one. I think we'll get this one. Got a guy on a tower dropping things off. His name is, yeah, I heard it, I heard it, Galileo, right? He, he did the experiment with gravity to prove that the, the size of the object or the mass of the object, it was still affected the same by gravity. He dropped things off the Tower of Pisa, famously. And then how about this one? Yes, Gregor Mendel, absolutely. And we would call these little squares a, I heard it, Punnett Square. Man, you guys are good. Yes, Gregory Mendel, he studied pea plants, and he gave us this revolutionary understanding of inheritance and genetics using pea plants to show how traits are passed along. And Gregory Mendel, man, he was quite an interesting guy. His story is pretty interesting. He lived in the mid-1800s. He was a priest. He was interested in science, and he wanted to teach high school. And that, you know, in, in that time, a, a lot of priests they, they would serve these kind of educational roles in, in their society and their communities. And so he wanted to teach high school, but he tried to pass the oral exam and he failed. He failed. So after failing that, he went to the University of Vienna to study. He studied for three years. He came back to his abbey to take the test again later, and he failed again. Failed twice. Uh, but nevertheless, his abbey, so, so he's still working in the abbey there, and they had this experimental garden, and there he started studying pea plants. 
And his contributions to science are massive. I mean, he coined the terms recessive and dominant. He's known as the father of the father of modern genetics. Heredity is like properly known as Mendelian inheritance. So he had, had a big impact. But here's the crazy thing. He never saw any of it, right? He, he published his work, and then he died. And it wasn't until three decades later that others rediscovered his work, and it was recognized as this groundbreaking research. What a shame, right? I mean, doesn't something about that feel a little wrong? It's like there's something in us that knows that if someone works hard for something, if it helps people, it makes an impact, that person should get to experience the rewards of their work. They should be recognized. They should get to see how others benefit from it. They should enjoy the fruits of their labor. But Gregor Mendel, no such luck. He never got to see it. Shepard read earlier for us from the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul writes some pretty fascinating words in chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. He says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now, he's not talking about pea plants, right? But Paul is talking about his ministry of sharing the gospel, of investing in people, caring for them, teaching them about Jesus and how to walk alongside them. And his primary concern here is that people don't get hung up on human leaders, right? Instead, that they recognize that God, he is the one at work. He gets the glory, not Paul or Apollos or someone else. But there's this interesting implication in this passage. And it's this, that Paul could work He could minister, he could preach and teach and love on people, and he might never see the results. It might be years before anything, you know, grows, and Paul may be long removed by then, right? He's not getting updates uh, or checking the Corinthians' Instagram story or getting emails from them, right? He may never get to talk to them again. He could be Gregor Mendel, never seeing the fruit of his work, and yet Paul seems to be okay with this. In fact, if I was going to put a phrase to what seems to be Paul's attitude here, I'd call it faithful without fruit. Paul doesn't know if he'll be around to see what comes of his efforts, but he trusts that God is working. Much in the same way that I'm trusting that despite my typo, we get the idea here, faithful without fruit, right? (laughs) Okay? Yeah, notice that this morning. It was already in there. It's too late. It's my bad. You know, but, but I can't help but imagine as Paul is saying this, right, as he's talking about this idea, as he's thinking about being faithful regardless of fruit, he's thinking about Isaiah fifty-five eleven. I mean, Paul would have learned that passage growing up, that the word of the Lord does not return empty, but it accomplishes what God desires. It achieves the purpose for which he sends it. Paul says, my calling, my responsibility is to be faithful to the opportunity God sets before me. And if I get to see the fruit that God brings out of that, then praise God. And if I don't get to see what comes out of it, I'll be faithful without the fruit. So, let me tell you about this trip we took to Big Creek. The week of July 4th, we went down to Leslie County, Kentucky. There are 21 of us. I'm just real quick. If you were part of the Big Creek team and you're here this morning, would you stand up where you're at because you can kind of see the crew? Yes. So, yeah, that's Gracie and Simon. All right, yes, yes. Wesley Tyler went with us. Susan Samples went with us. There are adults. We had a great crew. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thanks so much. 
So we went down to Leslie County, and we partnered with a ministry there called Big Creek. And you may be familiar with Leslie County. If you head down I-75 to London, and then you head east, you'll hit Leslie County before you reach Hazard. And Leslie County is beautiful. It's surrounded by these tree-covered mountains. And it's also named the eighth worst county in the U.S. to live in. Uh, for those under the age of 25, 40% of them live below the poverty rate in Leslie County. It's the 13th lowest county in terms of life expectancy in the U.S. And so Big Creek is this ministry that, that serves there, that lives there, that's part of Leslie County. And they are serving people. They are bringing resources and volunteers to partner with the people of Leslie County to help with the various needs there. And we got to go two years ago for the first time. And we had a, a challenging but incredible week that... You know, if I'm honest, it probably blessed us more and taught us more than we did in return. And without taking too much time, I want to give you a little picture of what teaming up with Big Creek for a week is like. So here it is, okay? For a week, we lived in a retrofit high school that the ministry there owns now. And we were there alongside six other church groups and the Big Creek staff. So there were about 170, 180 of us there for the week. We slept in these big rooms full of bunk beds, triple stacked, right, all around the edges of the rooms. And we worshiped together in what uh, was once the school gym. And when you go to Big Creek, you can sign up for like four different ministry options. Is kind of how they do it. Four different ministry tracks is kind of how they talk about it. One is community. And so if you do community, you're taking food bags to people. Um, you're visiting people in the nursing home. You can do construction. If you do construction, you're doing work on people's homes to repair and keep up their living situation. So a lot of roof repair, a lot of uh, home access stuff. And so you know, from our team, uh, Wesley Tyler and Alex and Matt, they all worked construction that week. Then there's the rest of us were in one of the, uh, the day camps options, okay? Part of our team was working with children K through 5, while the rest of us uh, were hanging out with the teenagers. At this day camp, it takes place at like a, a, at a, at a local park there that has a pool and gazebos and that kind of stuff. Now, if you heard us share about our last trip two years ago, you may remember that we experienced some challenges at the day camp. Look, I do not want to make it sound like some horrible thing. It was not. It was wonderful. But there is also this reality that the teenagers and the children at this camp, they don't have a reason to trust us. They don't know us. They don't have a reason or some compulsion to share their lives with us, right? We're strangers stepping into their world, and that sort of trust and respect is something that has to be earned. And so expecting them to treat us with some great level of fondness or appreciation is pretty unreasonable. And we learned that when we went two years ago. And so this year... Knowing a little more than the last time we went, we went to our trip with a few things in mind. And the first was this. We were going to plan to be vulnerable, okay? It was our job to put ourselves out there, to take the first step, our job to be willing to face rejection from the people we're trying to connect with. And our hope was that a willingness to be vulnerable would demonstrate that we were genuinely interested in getting to know them. That what we had to share, which is Jesus, is something more important to us than our own pride or our own social standing, and that we weren't asking or expecting anything from them that they didn't want to share. So vulnerability, a willingness to be the one who feels awkward and out of place, that was a key principle for us. And our second was this, the knowledge that we might be Gregor Mendel. I mean, here's the truth. God is absolutely at work in Leslie County, right? And some of that work is happening through Big Creek. And we're just a tiny piece of that puzzle. 
or one little seed among many. So who knows if we'll go down there and see any results. In fact, if we go down expecting to see results, if we go down for the the reward of feeling good about the results we bring about, we're almost certain to falter. I mean, if the reward of seeing results is why we're there, then the minute we don't see any, how do we stay motivated? How do we remain vulnerable? How do we put ourselves out there? And so, instead, we tried to follow Paul's example, being faithful without fruit, to go, be flexible and open, willing to say yes to whatever opportunities God had placed in front of us, not knowing if we would ever see what came out of it, and doing our best to be content, to be at peace with that, to trust that our God, our Savior, our Creator, He's got it under control. And let me tell you, our students did that beautifully. They really did. Um, Simon's going to come up, and he's going to share about there. He's going to talk about some of the details of how that looked as our students served faithfully, not knowing if they'd ever see the results of their efforts that week. Well, good morning, church. Um, as Jeremy mentioned, we, we truly did enjoy our time at Big Creek uh, with the opportunity to serve and love those we encountered. We did face a lot of challenges and a lot of unknowns during our time there. Uh, One group, our group came in not sure kind of what roles we would be serving in or maybe helping out with because there were so many tasks that needed help. We were also not sure how the kids were going to respond to us. And, you know, over the course of of my high school, you know, I've been so blessed to be able to spend a lot of time out at Bluegrass Christian Camp and work with teenagers and be a counselor and work with kids. And so connecting and building relationships is fun. It's comfortable. It's something that I've done before. Not thinking it would be super difficult. And I distinctly remember one of the teen girl's responses to me after I asked her if she was excited about what the week held. And this was her response to me on Monday morning. Y'all are just going to leave in a week anyway, so who even cares? And it kind of hit me right then and there that we might just be planting some seeds this week and not seeing some fruit. And so initially we came to camp with some subtle expectations about maybe how we'd be serving and the different roles we'd be in. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Every single person who did go to Big Creek did an unbelievable job just dying to themselves and serving. Everyone was a rock star, and there are so many countless examples and stories of our students loving others. And you should talk to them about it. They would love to share with you what Jesus did there at their time. But to start, Tristan Allen was looking forward to doing devotional prep with Mara Allen for the kids at camp, but he humbly pivoted to help with camp meals and to serve with them. They needed a lot of help, so he planted some seeds. Or Logan Pickerel, who planned devotionals each day to share with the teens. You know, we would be in the car together, driving on the windy roads early in the morning, and we'd be discussing his devotional, talking over it, and going through it. He planned messages with analogies, and and he wrote stories, and he boldly proclaimed the name of Christ Jesus with courage. He even shared his testimony and was vulnerable with the teen campers, despite the many distractions or maybe some pushback that happened, and he planted some seeds. Our construction team with Alex and Matt, they went out each day and built a ramp and a deck for a member of their community who had most mobility issues with the hopes to connect and fellowship with the homeowner. They were never to be seen, so they just kept planting some seeds. And many of the kids at camp were neglected at home and had some serious hardships, kids who desired to be loved and known and sought after for long hours of the day. One example of that is Eli Goen is giving kids uppies in the pool. And if you don't know what an uppie is for some reason, you have to be unfamiliar. An uppie is a term coined for a long extended period of time in the pool with a piggyback ride. And 
these kids are three times Eli's size. So he's planting some seeds. For Jacob Samples, who was able to spend time having some intentional conversations with a teen we, we met named John. And it meant a lot to the teens that our group would just spend time with them and do activities with them, just being with them. Our high school guys got to spend time shooting hoops or playing frisbee or doing spike ball or making crafts. And they kept planting seeds. I even think about a morning when the hostility and drama between two groups of girls was strong enough that they would not even sit near each other at a table to do crafts. And I happened just to be near at all. So we just continued to plant some seeds. Riley Alcorn spent time with a teenage girl named Sunshine. Now, Sunshine had been vocal to Riley and, about, and others about some of her struggles and some of her doubts. And Riley was consistently the one to remind her of God's love for her. And every day after camp, we would go to our room after worship in the night, and we would, de- we would worship with our own group and debrief and talk about the day and share where we saw Jesus working. And Riley mentioned how some of the conversations that she and Sunshine had were kind of scary. They were difficult. And they were hard because a lot of stuff was out of Riley's control. And, and with that, she voiced us her trust in the Lord over Sunshine's life. And there it is again. Faithfulness without fruit, a willingness to surrender to God the outcome, seen or unseen, seizing the opportunity in front of us to be faithful. If you look look again at verse 7, it reads this, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. And I think it's so easy to get caught up with all the actions we do and what reward or benefit they'll have. We presume that if we serve someone, we should be able to witness their fruit. It's almost like a transaction. I'll serve, so I get this back. And so often we tend to praise God for how he's working, but we puff ourselves up through our own actions. And Paul's telling the Corinthian church to stop getting so focused on the works and to see God's works because he's the one doing all the growing. We tend to judge obedience by the outcome, but the outcome is not the standard of faithfulness. Our why behind loving others is that not that we would see the reward, but because it's obedient to Christ Jesus. And Paul encourages them with a reminder in verse 9 that they are God's fellow workers, that they get to join God in what he's doing around them. What a special invitation. And let me encourage you, church, that this invitation also extends to us today, that the body of Christ still has an important role to play, even if we don't get to see the fruit. But Christ is so gracious, and he's kind. And while the fruit of faithfulness may not always be seen, sometimes the fruit's evident, and it's a joy. It's so much fun to work along him. Our construction team had kind of come to terms on Wednesday night's debrief about not meeting the homeowner. And while it was a bit disappointing, they were okay with that. They were content. But meanwhile, they came to find out from a friend of the homeowner that the entire time they had been working on the house, The friend had been sending photos and texting updates to the homeowner of their work, and she was thrilled. She was so thankful for the work they had done to their house. And God was growing the seeds the whole time, and they had no clue. During the last two days of working on construction projects, they even got to spend time with the homeowner's friend and fellowship with them. And Tristan faithfully served the meals at camp, and the kids were able to connect and spend time with him, as well. In fact, the kids adored Tristan and loved him. They called him the milkman because he was always the one at camp giving him, giving them their chocolate and white milk. And it was special to see how they connected and adored him. And God gave the growth. Or look at the girls who had hostility towards one another. The two groups of girls who on Monday could not even stand to be near each other were painting and laughing at the same table on Friday morning together. God's at work. 
and take our teen friend named John, who connected very well with Jacob and a lot of our other high school guys. He decided on Friday that he wanted to give his life to Jesus Christ. And Jacob was able to baptize John on Friday during our time at the pool. God is at work. The same girl who was hesitant to connect with our group because, you know, we'd just be gone in a week, was the same girl wanting to take a lot of pictures and selfies and wanted our name tags to be able to remember the week and the impact it had on her. God is working. And if we're being honest, she was right about us leaving and only being able to spend a week of time with them at camp. But again, we were just one small part of a much bigger story. I appreciate Simon sharing uh, some of those stories from our time there at Big Creek. And I hope you get a little glimpse. I mean, there's too many for us to cover them all, right? And I really can't overemphasize how wonderful, how faithful everyone on the team was to the opportunities that they were given. Our hope is that, you know, for one, this has given you a glimpse into what our week was like. And we want you to know that you were a part of that week as well. This was a trip we could not have gone on without your support. This is also a trip we wouldn't have been prepared for without your presence in our lives. The reality is everyone here at Southside is part of forming us, growing us, challenging us, and teaching us. And so thank you. I mean, really, thank you for for helping us, for encouraging us, for praying for us, and for sending us to Big Creek. Now that we're back, our other hope is that our experiences there can likewise be a blessing to you. They have a saying at Big Creek, and it's this. Big Creek isn't your mission trip. It's training for your actual mission trip. And the idea, right, is that our mission is where we find ourselves each and every day. Our mission is at home. It's at work. It's at school. It's the hundreds and thousands of moments we have, choices we make, interactions that take place. How can I be obedient to my parents in this? You know, how do I love this person? And truthfully, if your experience is anything like mine, not every day feels like a big win, right? I mean, some days just feel rather blah. I'm not sure I accomplished anything for the kingdom of God. Some days feels like it's sliding backwards. That's why I'm thankful for Paul. I'm thankful for these words, this idea of being faithful whether we see some immediate fruit or not. Be faithful to the moment and opportunity God gives you. Lean in, confident in him. You may never know what comes of it, but you can trust in his goodness and his promises. You heard Simon talk about that camper there named John and how Jacob got to baptize him. I promise you, not a single one of us went into the week thinking something like that was going to happen. And yet, despite not expecting to see anything like that happen, our students still loved John really well. They were good friends to him. They spent time with him. They talked with him. They played. They hung out. And they weren't the kind of friends that just tell you what you want to hear either, right? They had some real conversations with John about, you know, things he should or shouldn't be saying, what life should or shouldn't look like. They talked with him about Jesus. And they didn't do it so that they could get to see John baptized. They didn't think that was going to happen that week. They did it because God loved them so much that he gave Jesus to die for them. And in response, they want to love others too. And that was the opportunity before them, to love John. And they did it faithfully. And then God, in his graciousness, he gave us the opportunity to see the work that he was doing inside of John's heart that Friday in the pool when Jacob baptized him. So, look, I mentioned Gregor Mendel earlier this morning. And he was a guy that 
I mean, I guess he must have really liked beans, right, to do all that. And his life didn't really go the way he had planned, but he had those beans, so he watched the beans, he made notes about the beans, he made drawings of beans, he wrote papers about beans, and then he died. And he didn't know it, he never saw it, but his beans have really made a difference in the world. Okay, now follow me here, there's that saying, if life gives you lemons, you what? You make lemonade, right? And I've been thinking there's got to be some sort of parallel here for Christians. And I can't quite figure out how to phrase it, you know. God gives you beans. Be faithful to the beans. I don't know. Uh, Simon said it should be uh, be obedient. It's like obedient. Um, I don't know. That's not it. Those are not good sayings. We'll keep working on it. Here's where it rings true, all right? Here's what's true. It is tempting to tie our worth to results. And to only feel like we are pleasing God if we can see how we are producing for God. But God is pleased simply to rescue you and to be with you. And our calling is not to chase results. It is to chase faithfulness and trust that God will provide the fruit in his way and his time. If you want to know more about being rescued by God or if you want to join John and others and make a declaration about your rescue through baptism, to die to yourself, be clothed in Jesus, man, we can make that happen today. Uh, We know that God is at work. He's around us at work, and he's at work within our hearts as well. If there's any way we can help you, if we can pray with you, if we can talk with you, please let us know this morning as we stand together, as we sing in worship.